All right, we're sitting here, uh, well, probably more than 10 years after mm. we made this film, but actually maybe 20 years uh, after Danielle Valdez and I conceived it. Um, uh, Danny and I were sitting here. Uh, we're old friends. Um, I, I worked at KCET in Los Angeles Public Television Station. I'm Taylor Hackford. I was the producer of, the, of uh, La Bamba. And um, a very good friend of mine who was also a producer at KCET, Jesus Trevino, mm. did a show with this young, uh, incredibly exciting performer named Danny Valdez. <laughs> and I saw this, this piece. It was Danny and a guitar for a half hour doing you know, his own songs and songs that he had put together. And uh, I just went, my God, this guy is, <laughs> this guy is everything. He's, he talks, he acts, he sings, he does all these things. And uh, we got together and started to, uh, you know, started a relationship, became very good friends. Um, and in the process, one night we're sitting out at a friend's house at a barbecue, and Danny turns to me and says, uh, you know what I want to do? I want to do the life of Richie Valens. You remember that? Yeah. You know, what's interesting is that when you share something like music together, I mean, it's timeless. And somehow, Richie Valens was a link that tied us all together. Mm. Uh, it was somewhere, it had a piece of all of our lives in it. You know? Basically, the fact that we're sitting there having a couple of beers, getting uh, a little bit drunk and, and dreaming about the future. Neither one of us had a pot to piss in. And, uh, you know, it was a pipe dream. Uh, yeah. You know, it's like a lot of people to sit around and talk, uh, you know, you know, wouldn't it be nice to do this, do that. Um, we, you know, we went off. Danny uh, signed a recording contract with A&M Records, and he was recording. I went yeah. off and did uh, documentaries and news and, and uh, music films and various other things. You know, cut to about uh, 10 years later, and I had been fortunate enough to get myself into the feature film business and uh, had directed The Idolmaker and uh, then a film called An Officer and a Gentleman that got me uh, a, a name in Hollywood and I'd made a deal with Columbia Pictures and in the trades they'd printed that Taylor Hackford has a production company right. and I get this phone call <laughs> from Danny Valdez who was living up in San Juan Batista where he had always been part of the Teatro Campesino which is uh, probably the premier Chicano theater company in the history of California um, he said alright it's time. <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? He says, you remember? Remember we were sitting out there 10 years ago? Yeah. Well, if you got a production company, what about Richie Valens? Well, you remember we, tr we attempted it. We attempted it four different times over mm. those 10 years. We tried to get the film done. And originally we thought, well, I could play Richie Valens. You could direct this film. We could do this. Thing. And it seemed like every time we tried to do it, the time wasn't right. You know, the fact is that in, in Hollywood, it's very, very hard to get pictures together. And, in, in you know, all these kind of would-be people, which mm -hmm. we were would-be people. <laughs> I mean, the fact is that um, that Danny would have been a fantastic Richie Valens. I mean, he could sing, he can act, he looked great, he looked the part. But, you know, that's when we were sitting there talking. Mm. Ten years later, you know, you're kind of past it. You know, Richie Valens is 17. Yeah. I hate to say it, Danny, but, you know. <laughs> And so, you know, when Danny called me in and I said, you know, you're right. Uh, and he said, and besides, I found the family. 
Um, you know, they live in Watsonville. Uh, you know, Danny had made a relationship with Connie Valenzuela, who yeah. uh, he had found, you know, himself. And uh, we started this process. Now, one of the things that, that we're going to go, you know, I want to start this out because this is a historic project. This is a project that really emanated because of two friends getting mm. together and dreaming. On the other hand, we brought, you know, at a certain point, someone in to write this script and to, and well, just to write it at the beginning. <laughs> and Luis Valdez, Danny's brother, who, you know, he had worked with for years, they're partners, you know, Danny doing the music, Luis, you know, doing the drama of the Teatro Campesino. Um, basically, uh, we brought Luis in, and, and frankly, it wasn't easy. No. Uh, you know, I said to Danny, what about Luis? He says, he'll never do it. <laughs> He'll never do it, you know, because Luis is, you know, Luis is a, is a dramatist and frankly has a certain pretension yeah, right. <laughs> about, you know, what art is. And, you know, the idea of doing a, a, a little movie and, and so on. And I said to Luis, you know, I, I, we, we, and he turned us down. And I called him and I said, listen, Luis, the fact is, if you look at this story yeah. and you look at the work you've been doing for the last 20 years, what have you been doing? You've been talking about the Chicano experience right. in California. And who is Richie Valens? He's a guy who was, you know, a, a, a Mexican mm -hmm. whose family had come from Mexico, but he grew up in California. He didn't speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. His brother spoke Spanish. He is, in fact, the very entity that you have been writing about and dealing with. And I think Luis listened to that, and he agreed to do it. And, of course, he then, you know, we had done a lot of research before he ever got involved in the project, but he came in and, and really understood the material and I think created a terrific script. And when I saw the script, I then offered him an opportunity to direct the film because mm. I thought he really knew it. But beyond that, what we're looking at here in the film, we've been grousing and talking while we're going through this, but this image up here, we're up in, in Hollister, uh, this is the Valdez's stomping grounds. And <laughs> Luis and Danny were from uh, San Jose. And uh, they, they knew and, and settled in San Juan Bautista. And this valley here, the San Benito County, yeah. is one of those incredibly beautiful places that they knew. And Luis wrote about when they grew up and, and this labor camp and that, be out in the apricot orchards and picking fruit. And, and, of course, Richie had done the same thing. He had researched and Connie, you know, Connie Valenzuela said they'd gone up and picked fruit. What was interesting was that Hollister was an actual one of the towns that they actually worked in uh, when Richie was, was very young. He was like 15 years old. And so when the, the whole mentioning of Hollister in that area, I mean, it was still there. I mean, that was, that was the amazing thing. I mean, it was our backyard. I mean, but it came to life. And it was interesting. Do you remember when we went to the to the camp? You know, I was, it's an, it was an old it was an old apricot uh, cutting shed. You know, and uh, all this reality is coming out of the fields. I mean, it was alive. It was it, it was the it was the natural basis of the film. There, Felipe. Yeah, you know the thing that's great about this is that when you look at this labor camp, I mean, every one of these phases. This is wow. this is family. I mean, you know, you're seeing yeah. you're seeing Luis's family. I saw Lupe. You know, when the in the picking scene, I mean, in the uh, in the shed where they were processing the dried fruit, Lupe was there. Um, you know, these are Luis's kids. You'll see Danny's kids. This is <laughs> this whole movie 
was a kind of family experience. And the things that we created, we created this labor camp, but it's very authentic. Um, and, you, and then you do things like the, the, the writer gets caught, you know, hoisted by his own petard. He writes, uh, you know, about picking the fruit. And, of course, then he writes about the fruit being laid out to dry. That's right. Of course, the reality is those two things happen at different times. That's right. So we had to, you know, you know I'm, I'm reading it. I've never really gone out and, and, and picked fruit and know that. So Luis writes all this, and we go up there to do it. The, the fruit's on the trees. Well, that means the fruit can't be down on the ground. So we have to go buy dried apricots, you know, and, and then lay them out on the ground. That, that's right. Remember when we started the first, first day of the shoot, the picking scene in the trees, and we said, okay, get ready, action. And they started picking. Like I said, wait a minute, you're picking too damn fast. You're, you're getting rid of all the fruit. So we had to place all the fruit in the trees all over again so we could get the picking done. But the amazing thing was that that, that place, that labor camp, is really made up of memories of all of us in our own childhood. And the amazing thing, we even had the mayor of Hollister up there in one of those trees yeah. <laughs> picking fruit. It's, it, it's, it, it, the thing I think that Luis was trying to say in this, and the thing that was wonderful, is that yes, people worked very hard, but they shouldn't be, you know, and he said it all the way through, there's a huge pride here that, you know, people are out working, they're working hard doing what they're doing, and at the same time, there was a great deal of life and love in all of this that uh, the things that go on around that campfire, Richie playing his guitar, the warmth that happens of family and the interrelationships of families. In a way, these people didn't have the money to go to summer camp. This was their summer camp. Yeah. You know, and these kids grew up and it was a very communal family experience. It so happened that what Luis wrote about and he'd experienced and Danny had experienced, so had Richie Valens and Connie Valenzuela. And what we're talking about here are the seeds of the story. This is before people are famous. This is, bo this is people that are working class people. And by the way, those are the kinds of films that I've always made, the films yeah. that I'm interested in making, because that's where I'm from, that, those roots, and Danny and I both. And the, the essence of this is that um, we're, we're looking at people who you know, can't afford anything but right. have dreams. And we establish relationships right here in this labor camp that come to fruition throughout the movie. Yeah, you know, those images that you see of Richie staring off into the distance, thinking about becoming someone, you know. I mean, everyone who's ever pick, picked any fruit knows that feeling, you know, because dreams were born in that kind of environment, you know. You say, I'm, someday I'm going to do this or someday I'm going to do that. And somehow, just shooting that scene i mean we all went back there that's where the seeds of, of dreams come from you know? you know i think that one thing that we did um, you know i i want to mention some people that were really important at the very beginning of this process andrea asimo mm -hmm. who was my head of development at uh, new visions pictures um, you know, and, and danny found connie Van valenzuela and then we formed a relationship i had to go to connie you know, who loved Richie and had created Richie like a saint. You know, Richie was kind of a saint. You know, he was a lovely, lovely guy. And when we started looking around, we were saying, oh, my God, I don't know if this is a story or not. You know, nobody will say anything bad about this guy. Yeah, it, it, you know, because it was a film, I mean, it was a feature film, you're doing a story of somebody's life. It's not, it's not very often that you get an opportunity to meet the real people. No. And this film gave us an opportunity to become part of their existence and their, their life. And for me, I know... I got a chance to meet Richie based on all these people who knew Richie. And the interesting thing for me was that there was a connection with what he did 
with what we were doing. Uh, he just epitomized that ambition that we all all had. Well, I think that the other thing, interesting thing that Luis did, I mean, when we discovered this family, we also discovered the various uh, you know, parts of it. Like any Latino family, it's not just <laughs> one child, there's many. That's right. And uh, what, what we found in the story, uh, initially um, <clears throat> researching it, was that there was the oldest brother, Bob. <laughs> Bob, who was a d- the dark figure. <laughs> and Luis actually discovered wonderfully the fact that this is a story about family, this is a story about brothers. About this brothers, is a story yes. about the whole ethos of the Latino experience in California. Yep. You know, Bob, who was born in Mexico, who speaks Spanish, who never is really quite let into the <clears throat> American system. That's right. And he's always butting his head up against it. He's always fighting it. And Richie, who in, you know grows up in America, speaks English, knows Spanish, and thinks, wow, this is the world. You have embodied within this story the whole Chicano ethos yes. that, that Luis, as, as I said, had been writing about for 20 years. And he found it here and wrote about brothers. And of course, <clears throat> I can say this because I'm sitting next to my friend, <laughs> but also uh, I know, you know, Luis wrote this about the complications of brother relationships. And Luis and Danny have a complicated relationship. They (laughs) always have. And I think that you see this movie, you see the lightness, you see Mm. the darkness, you see all these things. And in a way, there's a lot of autobiographical stuff, you know, Mm. that, that, that is, that is in any family. Certainly Danny and Luis feel it. Certainly any, any two brothers feel it, that they are different entities. They are close. There's love. And at the same time, there's competition. And what we're what we're saying here now is that we jumped from the northern part where this the summer camp where kids go and work. You don't get time off, you go and work. And now you're back in school. And Richie, who is very much trying to be the the young teenage uh, kid in the valley, because they they grew up in the valley. They were, they lived in Pacoima, which is uh, you know far out in the valley. And uh, you know the whole ethos of growing up in Southern California. I mean, my experience and the reason that I am am here uh, is that you know I grew up in Santa Barbara I grew up working class my mother was a waitress most of my friends were Latino you know I mean it's just a fact of life you grow up in a in a place in in Southern California and there's a huge Latin influence I mean after all you know California was was Mexican to begin with and Spanish and and so I've always had in in my heart and my soul a real love of those things Latino so in, in this film, you're looking at a, a kind of thing that, that, in fact, happened. You always have within a Southern California culture uh, Latino kids, Anglo kids going to school together. Uh, there's different cultures. A lot of people, you know, just think, well, we're Americans and, and these, uh, you know, uh, dark-skinned, uh, dark-haired people are, you know, they're, they're kind of like us. But no one really understands, you know, what happens when you go home to somebody. I mean, I did. I went home to people's houses. My friends didn't want to speak Spanish. Their, their, friend, their parents would talk to them in Spanish and they'd kind of be, That's right. you know. But the, but the fact is this ethos is, is what Luis and Danny have lived and what I wanted to do in this film and that's why we're all, you know, together in this, is try to, for the first time, capture what it's like growing up in a multicultural situation in California. We've seen it a million times in New York with, you know, Irish, Jewish, Italian. This is the story of rock and roll, but told from California. Yeah, and also the story of identity, self-identity. And that's where we all connected, I think, you know, because he was, Richie Valens was a kid and trying to be somebody. And... 
It didn't matter whether he was Chicano, whether he was black, whether he was Jewish. That's where we all connect because we all have the same dreams. Yep. And I know, I know the wonderful thing is that the film was made up of all these people who were still alive. And to meet them in person, to talk to Richie's brother and his sisters and his mother, and to actually feel Richie through the family. And all of a sudden, I mean, this is where they talk about life entertaining, uh, imitating art or vice versa. I mean, that, that in fact, is what this film was. Yeah. We all lived in it. We were all part of it, you know, and uh, that search for identity, especially just the Chicano reality of just trying to grow up in California, you know. I mean, it touched that nerve in all of us. And I think that's why we got so much, so much from so many people who wanted to see this story told. Hmm. You know, I remember even, even some of the, the cops who worked in security for the film went to school with Richie. Yeah. I mean, they, all of a sudden, there was a place for all this, all this love to go to. Certainly, this film. Man. Yeah, this this scene right here, we're watching uh, Jeff Rivas, uh, who's who's playing the leader of the band, and uh, you know, at the very beginning, you just know that you know he's being displaced. Look at this, you know, <laughs> he, uh, he's got you know, and Jeff is a fabulous actor. I used him later in Blood and Blood Out, which is another film that I made, but. Um, you know he's a terrific actor, but in this instance, he's he's playing the guy who has to, uh, you know, kind of swallow the fact that this new guy's coming in and going to take over his band. That, that's so classic. <laughs> There's always the one guy who gets all the gigs. He owns the station wagon, so he's the boss. <laughs> I think that uh, we should talk about um, the music wow. in this film because both Danny and I are steeped in rock and roll. <laughs> we grew up to it. That's how we, you know, when we 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 you know would get together and talk about music from the very beginning. And what we wanted to do in this film, not only was use Richie's music, but also kind of talk about this early period, which is the most fertile, the most exciting period of rock and roll. Yeah, I think the background, the very fiber of, of the film, the music is really the, the, the landscape of, of the actual story, and yep. because it was alive, and rock and roll, had a whole different meaning because it was the medium to communicate in. And so it, it would be only natural. We didn't have to make up anything. It was all there. Yeah. These, 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 these scenes that we're seeing intercut here, you know, you're, you're establishing wow. Bob, you know, Bob who take off on his bike, go down to Mexico, bring in some weed. You know, he's <laughs> making his money that way. Richie, who is much more innocent, doing, it, the, doing his life the straight way. And these two, these two forces, you know, waiting to collide. Mm. Um, you know, we, we introduced a great many actors in this film. You know, one of the things that I thought was the most interesting thing at the beginning is that, you know, I know Latinos. They're, in, you know, you just, you just have to, like, uh, bring a, walk into a room. You don't even need a guitar. You know, people are singing. They've got incredible personalities. Talk about talent. There it is. But on the other hand, you know, and Danny wasn't surprised at this, but I was. I mean, I, we start putting the word out to cast this movie, and, and there's hardly anybody, you know, I'm saying, my God, we're going to have a hard time finding Richie Valens? Really? Come on, what is it? And, and, I, and I, you know, Luis looked at me, and Danny looked at me, and said, listen, we've been in the theater company. You have to understand, we had to create a theater company mm -hmm. to give Chicanos, uh, you know, something to do. Mm -hmm. And in this instance, you know, where you have 
you know, people learning their craft, learning their craft as actors and so forth. You know, you, I, you know, one, we don't think about this, but unless there are roles, there are no professional people. So he said, you know, if there's no roles in, in, in television or in movies or anything else, I mean, somebody has to pass for white. Um, you know, then, then in fact, what you have is uh, is no professional class of actors. So we started to have to look and develop. I mean, I think uh, Luis and, and Isai and Lou and Stuart all talked about this casting process, but you have to understand that this casting process was amazing for us to go through. Oh. Junie, Junie Lowry was our casting director. Well, I mean, the question comes up immediately. How do you cast a part that is going to, I mean, this character is going to be a star. You know, I mean, well, if we do our job right, he's going to be a star. Yeah, I mean, well, you you get a a non star to play a star. I mean, and so it was a little very much like the experience of Richie Valens himself. Mm. I mean, he was being the, the, the persona that he was. I think that an important thing to just, I don't know if they described it before, but we should know. Um, you know, we looked around and we had two great roles we have Bob, we have Richie. We have Connie. We have all the different people here. But mostly we have to find a Richie and a Bob because that's the centerpiece of our story. And we looked all, at, you know, all around to try to find a Richie. And you know what? Uh, we weren't having any luck. Now, we had a re- couple of really, really wonderfully talented uh, actors that were uh, up for the role of Bob. Jesse Borrego, yes. Luis Loved, and Jesse Borrego, you know, I used him again in Blood In, Blood Out. He's a fabulous actor. Unfortunately, and I think this is something that should be stated, you know, we, we were really interested in Jesse, and uh, he was doing Fame. And you know, the producers of Fame wouldn't allow, it was one-week conflict, they wouldn't let this kid out. I mean, he has yeah. a chance to do a feature film to change his whole career. And the, you know, the kind of short-sightedness of people in the entertainment business is amazing. But Isai came in, and Isai owned Bob. Oh. He was Bob, and you know we we knew Bob. You know, uh, you know Valenzuela. We we spent time with him, and you know Isai just was the guy, and Luis felt it. Well, uh, we now had to like try to find. Uh, Richie, and we were going to cast anybody until we found Richie. Well, we didn't find him in California. We didn't find him in New York. We then had a, a nationwide search. I mean, that that casting call was because I did most of the casting calls in Los Angeles. We saw five thousand, and then we went to Chicago, went to New York. I mean, there were actors on top of actors on top of actors. And what do you cast? An actor who's a musician, a musician who's an actor. I mean, one or the other. Where, where, do, where do you make the decision? Or somebody who looks like? Yeah. I mean, do you, does he have to really play the guitar? Yeah. I mean, the, it's, it's having to arrive at the decision as to who's going to play who. And Isai came in, and he, what he brought in, his energy hmm. and his craft. But again, we tried, we tried Isai for, 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 yes. uh, uh, for Richie. Richie to begin with. Yes. And then the, the fact is that it, it just didn't fit. You know, I mean, you, know, you can have a great actor, but it doesn't fit. Well, what happened, we then, you know, we then sent Junie out uh, to Tejas, <laughs> to Texas, to Miami, to you know, all these different places. And we got a call back from um, Junie saying, listen, I found somebody interesting in Houston. <laughs> And we said, well, listen. And we're, we're 10 days away. We're desperate. We're 10 days away. <laughs> so she flew in, this guy, and I said, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips. I said, Lou Diamond Phillips, that doesn't sound very Latino to me, you know. She says, well, well, you just wait till you see him, you know. And, you know, there's nothing in a name. I mean, Lou's, Lou's got uh, American Indian. He's got Filipino. He's got Latino. Uh-huh. He's a whole mezclado, you know, of, yeah. of, uh, of cultures. But um, the fact is that 
that he came in and he had read for Bob. She had seen him for Bob. And he came in to read for Bob, and Esai was coming back for his second reading that day, and it was just clear that Esai had the role. Louise said, I, you know, i got to tell you, this is what I feel. That's right. And, uh, and we were looking, and then we said, you know, Lou Diamond Phillips is really good, but he doesn't have the toughness for Bob. And then we said, you know, do you think he might? You think he might work yeah, for Richie? Yeah. And uh, Luis kind of looked and said, uh, "Well, you know, it's worth a try." <laughs> and so we went out, and Luis went up to to Lou and said, "Listen, um, I know you've worked a week on this role. I know you're really Bob in your head, but take the script home, and I'd like you to spend the night reading the role for Richie, and come back tomorrow and read for <laughs> Richie." And Lou, you know, I mean, Lou's of course coming from Texas. It's like a dream to even come to Hollywood. And he says, um, "All right." And he came in the next day. He read for Richie. So he said, I'm not a musician. I don't play music. I, you know, but it, it's really the player, the actor was playing the character of him. And, and the essence of, of Lou Diamond Phillips as a young actor trying to make his mark. And, I mean, the talent was there. I mean, and I couldn't help but think, well, what did Rob Keane think when he met Richie mm, Exactly. I mean, it was wow. He came in, he read, and... Right there, oh. boom, we gave him the role. Oh. Now, it doesn't hurt to have a little uh, impetus here, and the impetus was uh, that we were <laughs> we were <laughs> 10 days away. We needed to go, and uh, you know we had to get people into the pipeline immediately. Yep. Well, boom, we made the choices. Bang, there we went. Now, I think it's important we start talking about the cast here because that, that we're talking cast. Uh, you've seen Elizabeth Pena, who is, is, is playing Bob's girlfriend Rosie, Rosie, Rosie yeah. and then subsequent wife and Elizabeth Pena had done a couple of things she's a Cuban actress Cuban American mm -hmm. actress fabulously talented but I think this put her on the map yeah um, you know she's cast uh, Rosanna de Soto who is a friend of the uh, the Valdezes from again from that that fertile area of San Benito County <laughs> Rosanna's from Hollister but uh, an incredibly strong actress and to play Connie Valenzuela I mean mm. Connie became again I had to go to Connie Valenzuela who had made her son a saint and say to her Connie uh, I want the rights to your son's life but I have to have control mm. I mean, you know, because uh, you know, if you allow somebody, I mean, she, we have to have the ability. I mean, I said, you know, you understand that we love Richie. We love Richie's music. We're going to, you know, we're going to never disrespect him. But on the other hand, we can't make him, uh, you know, uh, 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 an uninteresting character. We got to give him life. And Connie, I must say, it was amazing. She looked at me, and she, you know, of course, she she charged me. Almost had to bend down and and uh, and swear to her. But ultimately, Danny and I went, and she gave us the rights. Now, uh, to find somebody, once you get to know Connie Valenzuela, and if you look at this, the important thing about this DVD that I think is wonderful, we have some um, uh, clips that we did, some you know promotional things we did when this movie was out. And because it was such a family affair, not only the Valdez family and all their uh, extended group, but the Valenzuela family. Yeah. I mean, Irma is in this film. Rosie is in this film. Bob's Donna is in this yeah. film. Bob is in this film. All these people are in this movie. And uh, Rosanna, you know, when when uh, when it came down to somebody who could possibly play Connie, I thought, oh, who could do it? But you know what? Rosanna has the, she doesn't look like Connie, no. but she's got the backbone. She's got the spirit. She's got the power that really embodied this woman. And um, so anyway, uh, you, you know, you've got, you've got her, you've, you know, Danny has a role in the film, you know, you, you, you start to see the 
the extended family around these people, and well, it pretty, I, mean, pretty I think it's, what's interesting is the the cast actually reflects a lot of the people who were involved in the film. I mean, and just like the actual event, I mean, everybody's tied in, you know, mm -hmm. and that's why the the trust that we needed to get from Connie was so important, because this hadn't been done before. Yeah, it had never been done before. There was no format, you know. We're we were working in an area that had never been touched. I think that uh, that other people like uh, Danielle Van, Zernick, Van Zernick, who plays uh, Donna in the film. You know, you know, uh, you know. Uh, I'll talk about Joe Pantoliano in a <laughs> bit. You know, who I'd worked with in my first film, The Idolmaker. You know, we all drew on people. You know, some new people, Danielle. Uh, other people that, that that were completely discovered in this, like Lou. I mean, Lou came from nowhere. It's the Hollywood dream. He mm. came from Houston, Texas, working in a theater company, and came and became a star in one movie. Just like the, just like Richie. Right, Esai and 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 uh, Elizabeth, who had done a little bit of work, but were still looking for their break. And again, you know, roles like this don't don't come around very often. These people knew they had great stuff. Well, I mean, the incredible thing was that the actual story itself gave all these actors a place to bring all of this talent because trying to find roles in Hollywood for Chicanos is difficult enough. Mm. But to find a film where it had so many roles, to bring so many actors to come in to, to participate in this thing, I mean, the film reflects the talent of the people just like Richie's story itself. Yeah. Well, I think Luis's script certainly um, inspired people. I mean, it inspired. You know, let's talk about a little bit about crew. Um, you know, we we had a, a core group at New Visions, which is my company. Um, you know, with uh, Stuart and I already mentioned Andrea Asimo. Um, Bill Borden, who had been a location scout for me, an officer and a gentleman. I gave a chance to be a co-producer on this film. Um, Alan Blumquist, who was the production manager, uh, you know, kind of coming in and, and taking charge on one level. But, but then we had other people that were Adam Greenberg. Yes. Uh, Adam Greenberg was, uh, you know, a Pole who had come by way of Israel and had come into... Uh, Hollywood, and uh, this was a, a, a low-budget film. He was looking for a break. Now Adam Greenberg is a big-time Hollywood uh, cinematographer. But in this instance, you know, you, you have a, a, a Polish uh, cinematographer who comes in is going to do a Chicano story. You're telling me, <laughs> explaining the ethos to him. He and Luis kind of got on like thieves. And I think Adam did a wonderful job here. He's, he's created a... We wanted a, a kind of uh, technicolor um, look of the uh, 50s California and uh, you know it's a saturated look you know at the very beginning it's unsaturated because <clears throat> we had to go in and like strip out that dream sequence out in the, on the playground with the plane and then of course all the things that happen up in um, in, in, Hollister. in Hollister, you want to feel it's hot and, and dry. And then, of course, we started you know, bringing the color into the film as you get into Southern California. But anyway, let's go back to the music, because there's another person that I think is important to mention here, and that's Joel Sill, who was on another part of New Visions, who was the musical supervisor of this. And Danny and I and Joel got together and just decided, the three of us, really, and decided we're going to populate this film <clears throat> with music of the go. period. It's Richie Valens music and then you've already heard Little Richard, now you're hearing some Buddy Holly. You know, that's what Richie played. He played the songs that he loved. He was a rock and roller. He was an American rock and roller and he was, you know, so you hear him you know, in that garage playing some Little Richard. Here he's he's doing a um, 
a Buddy Holly story, you know, Buddy Holly, uh, pardon me, a Buddy Holly song, mm-hmm. and uh, <laughs> Bob back there at the drums. But, you know, the, the sense that this is the way rock and roll starts, it isn't a big-time deal. That's right. Connie goes in and convinces this bar owner, because her husband drank himself to, to death in mm-hmm. the bar, mm-hmm. to let Richie sit down. She did that, really. This really happened. Yeah, this actually happened. I mean. So... Um, uh, you know, you, you want these moments where you can see not a big kind of gl- glorified, glamorous thing, but a kind of funky little way that, that these bands start up. Um, and I think there's a truth to that that are pretty cool. And, 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 and the fact that anybody would just listen to them means that they're thrilled. I yeah. mean, Richie's out there, he's, he's, he's scared to death, mm. but he'll sing, sing his ass off to try to make oh, it happen. I think, I mean, just the, the very story of how Richie actually brought himself out and decided to go ahead and let people see who he was. Mm-hmm. And I mean, rock and roll, which was in its infancy, you know, in those days, the innovators were performers and they were making it up as they were going along. And to see that in Richie at the, at the bar, I mean, that, that's how it happened. Well, I think the other thing that's important about this is that, you know, you, you have it at the beginning, because just what Danny was saying, people making things up, they're songwriters. I mean, Buddy Holly was a fabulous songwriter. Little Richard wrote songs, and Richie Valens was a songwriter. Yeah. You know, you, you, yeah. you, know, you, either, you either go out and do cover versions of things, because there there's not a big uh, catalog of rock and roll. I mean, rock and roll came from R&B, and mm-hmm. you could do some R&B songs, but rock and roll was, was the, uh, you know, the, the jumping off point. I mean, Chuck Berry, who I did a, a documentary about, uh, Hail Hell Rock and Roll, was to me the greatest singer-songwriter of that era. But, you know, you hear those things and you can cop those things as Richie was doing there and then finally you got to sit down and write your own stuff. That's it. And that's what he did. That's what all, all you know, really of the great originals did. Um, and we're and we, you know, if you listen to this film, you know, at different moments, you'll hear in the background, I think, wonderful source music. Joel went about, you know, we, we I remember one night, uh, Joel and and Danny and I uh, got together in my house and I cooked dinner. Joel was at the time going on a cook where he wasn't going to eat a lot of meat. But Danny, I made this big spaghetti sauce. Danny and I had, and we had, and uh, Joel wanted vegetables, so I made up a bunch of vegetables and I made up a lot of fresh beets. And uh, and Joel, uh, he said, "Oh, these beets are great." He kept eating them and eating them and eating them. And um, anyway, uh, in, uh, long, make a long story short, the next day I called his office and he wasn't there. <laughs> he hadn't come in. He was sick. I said, "What's the matter?" I thought, "Oh my God, did I do something?" And of course, what he had done—he'd eaten too many beets in the middle of the night. He'd had an attack. He got he got, got excited, thought, and they took him to the emergency <coughs> ward, and they and he thought, "Oh my God, something's happened." And of course, the, the emergency people was, "No, no, I mean, nothing's wrong. You just ate beets." But anyway, and that auspicious occasion yeah. that night we had listened to probably oh, 150 man. you know songs oh. singing along with each one of them and making some choices and saying we want that song this song these are the songs yeah. that we scored our life to growing up yeah and then Joel said about getting them and a lot of them are in this movie I mean there's some great things ethos and, and, jo- and Joel's connection with rock and roll yeah I mean uh, Lieber and Schroeder you know his father was Lester Sill who yes. you know had uh, you know had been Phil Spector's partner in, in Philly Records yeah. and and had published a lot of these people. So, you know, we, we were all trying, we were all doing something we believed in. I mean, if you went out and tried to actually put together a crew of people that had this experience in common, it'd be very difficult. Hmm. I mean, it came about organically, uh, just like the story, I mean, which had been attempted so many times, you know, it's 30 years, you know, Richie Valens' story finally gets told. Hmm. Uh, and it was a little like finding out who an icon was. 
I love these posters here. I mean, this this whole essence here. Yeah, I mean, you know, Bob being an artist, you see Bob doing something for his brother. Mm -hmm. The whole sense that you know that 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 Bob has a certain you know there's there's a love in this family. He's he's bound and determined. But the whole essence of starting this. Look at Connie up on this uh, Lalo truck, and there's Dad. Guess who's driving? There he is, right there. There's the uncle right there. But but the but the essence of of how these things really start. We went out to. Uh, it was actually in East Los Angeles yeah. to an American Legion Hall and got this place, which was a, just ready-made. It mm-hmm. was like it had not changed one iota since the early well, 50s. I think that's part of the advantage is that where Chicanos have grown up in, those places are still there. Mm. So you can go back in time. You don't have to make it up. It's still there. They yeah. still use the American Legion Hall. Yeah. And in recreating some of those scenes... It, it, People, some people actually thought that a dance was taking place. <laughs> they wanted to buy tickets. You know, I think I think the other thing about this is that's so great. I mean, you know, uh, uh, Rosanna and and uh, you know, I don't know if she got enough credit for this film. She was so fantastic. She was the backbone. She is the backbone of this film because, um, of course, Connie was the backbone of that family. Yes. And you know, to embody a woman, a working woman, who was who, way ahead of her time. Yeah, who was out there saying, "I'm gonna, you know, I got to work to support my family. I love my." sons i'm responsible i care about them and at the same time i'm going to do everything possible to get my son to you know to to, to reach his dream you know yeah uh and when, then watch her as she struggles to try to hold that family together that's who connie valenzuela is and i and i can't say it enough mm. because mm. la concha as as, yeah. as everyone called her which is she's a tough shell that's right but uh i mean you know she's the kind of person very much like my mother and i you know so i mean i i recognized in her entirely different culture but i recognize uh. that that tough individualist who was alone, who had That's to right. like do it, you know, had single and, mother, yeah, had to deal. And you know what's interesting? I mean, you think about it now, and Connie was so ahead of her time in terms of just being a woman and taking the the bull by the horns. Mm. And she was the one who would tell Richie, you know, you talk about it, but you got to do it. Yeah. You know, and the, the song "Come On, Let's Go" mm. that was actually Connie's expression. Come on, let's go, let's go do it. That's right. And that's where Richie's inspiration came from. I mean, that she was the manager, she was the publicity department, she was all that all mixed together. Now we're doing, you know, the, we have Ooh My Head here, huh. you know, again, uh, you know, cover versions. And then I think there's a really wonderful Lieber and Stoller song coming up right now. I've framed Frame, which he does. Yes. It's just, and he does a great <laughs> job of it. Now, again, realizing that, uh, and I, I, I've talked about the music, but one thing I haven't talked about is at the very beginning of this, when Danny first said, you got the rights, I thought, wait a minute, we can't do this unless we got the music, and we've got to recreate the music because there wasn't enough of Richie stuff that was available. Mm-hmm. Well, that meant that I've got to go, and of course, there was one choice. You go to Los Lobos. Los Lobos, who had recorded on their first album, Come on, let's go. That's right. They they had paid homage to Richie Valens, the Chicano who was the first one who really went out into rock and roll, and you know these guys from East Los who who really you know the whole the whole uh, group of them um, you know had established themselves in the roots of Latino music, of Chicano music, of Mexican music, and at the same time are real rock and rollers. I mean yeah. down deep. And I went uh, backstage at the Greek Theater. Uh, to see Los Lobos when they were appearing, and I just said to Caesar and to David and to the whole group, listen, I'm doing this film, Danny's doing this film, Luis is going to direct it, we have one choice to do the music. And they and Caesar, I remember turning to me, he says, hey, we got no choice, we're in, what can we say? And, and that was it. Now, when you hear David Hidalgo right now doing Framed, 
It is the coolest, you know, it is, you know, this was the this was the coasters that had done this. That's right. Know? And you hear David with an incredible amount of Chicano soul doing this piece. And, yeah, and, uh, and their love and respect for Richie's music came out in their interpretation of it. And what, well, especially you couldn't write the script better than that. Right. You know, I mean, Los Lobos, as they were, they were, they were the embodiment of that kind of sound of, of trying to uh, trying to proclaim yourself original and yet at the same time to stay true to your own music. To right? your roots, they've always yeah. they've always stayed true to their roots. I mean, they they can they can do uh, you know great blues numbers. Anyway, this is a great. I love this fight. Uh, you know, this day we had uh, Ronnie Rondell came out on this day, who was one of the great stuntmen of Hollywood. Uh, Gary Davis, who's a, a my stuntman, had, had, had given us uh, you know various people and. You know uh, that were really terrific, and and the, the stunt coordinator Steve Davidson was. But Ronnie Randell came out to gaff this fight, and I'm telling you, it's a goodie. It's a real Chicano brawl. You were you know? hot. <laughs> it was so hot. Yeah. Uh. But there is the aftermath. You know, the whole essence of Bob again. Bob, who had you know he had made this thing possible, and then of course he gets drunk. He's got to blow. You know, he's got to blow it. This That's is a, right. this is the hothead, and Richie, you know. Is having his moment, and uh, and Bob, you know, this. Look at Isai. I mean, he's mm. the great thing about this is that you mm. realize that this is a guy who has incredible power, mm. and at the same time, he's got demons. He's yeah. he's con- consumed by demons, and this is, uh, by you know, this is definitely part of the Chicano ethos. You know, this is a guy who, you know, is talented. He's he's a man kind of half in, half mm-hmm. out. Now, this song right here, this I swear is true. <laughs> Uh, you know, I love the use of this song here. I want you to see the beginning of it, you know, uh, and then the end of the song, the last image at the end of the song. You know, this is young love. This is the kind of songs that you'd score your teenage youth no. to, as both Danny and I did. <laughs> and and the fact is that uh, all the way through this with these two young innocent beings um, you know and a car okay. in Southern California and we, we shot we shot a lot of this film out in Santa Paula right in Fillmore actually yeah uh, uh, Piru Piru that still had a, a, an essence of the Southern California we got all these old cars you'll see all the way through this we had just you know car clubs and and we were you know Alan Blumquist is running around you know finding uh, these cars he and Borden finding these great things but the fact is that um, you know, this this is a car culture. Southern yeah. California, you don't get any place unless you have your car. And the car, this is the celebration. It's the a sh- shrine of rock and roll. This know. is it. And, and uh, you know, the fact is that Southern California at the time, out in the valley, you know, that's what it was. It was orange groves. That's it. So I love the I love this music, these two kids, and at the last shot you'll see the camera rises up and you see these uh, orange groves going off into the foothills. Yeah. That's what we knew growing up. That's right. Try to find it now. It's all housing <laughs> developments, right. all that. But you know, it's important to kind of see the way California was. It wasn't just like that in Chinatown. Yeah. It it was like that in the fifties. There it is, right there. Oh. See that? There it is. What's no more? <laughs> Um, but I, I think that 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 use of that music there, I just love. And uh, uh, the, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people in this film that hopefully, you know, I know that we're going to forget some people. I hate to say it, but um, 
there's a lot of a lot of people in this film that we hope to mention. It's it's clear. The one thing about making a film, you understand, it's never one person. It's um it's a lot of of uh, a, a, it's a fa you know it is a family. Yeah. It's a collaboration. I think that showed up in the crew too. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, this was not just another film. A lot of a lot of the people in the crew were identifying with the story, and they felt a real closeness to the story. And one thing you was right there, we're, we're discovering Woody Woodpecker here, and uh, and you know realize that you can't, you know, we, we didn't have any money. This is a, I guarantee completion on this film. We had a very small little thing, but the fact is that uh, that Walter Lance happened to be ah. in the office. Walter Lance is the guy who invented Woody Woodpecker. You go, you know, you go to Warner Brothers or to Disney, forget it. You know, you're not going to be able to use anybody. And right. and Walter Lance still owned this. Now I think subsequently it's been sold. But, um, uh, you know, we got the rights to Woody Woodpecker, which was fantastic, and used it in the film. The, these are little bits and pieces where, you know, at the time, you just kind of run around. Mm -hmm. By the way, Richie did do the Paddywhack song. That's right. You know, we have this in here. That's right. He loved kids. And guess who that is? Ah, my baby. <laughs> that's uh, Kati. That's Danny's daughter right there in the movie. You know, you've got all these, you know, I mean, uh, you know, every time you look at this, it's like a photo album. Now, let me mention something here. I mentioned before jo Joey Pantoliano. Mm. Joey is from New York. He's a fantastic actor. I used him in The Idol Maker with Ray Sharkey. He's, he's really, you know, you've seen him around. But I must tell you, up to this point, Joey Pantoliano, who was bald, had never done a role where he had shown his bald head. All right? Up He's to this, love this. There it is, right there. That right now is the great revealing. And you have to understand it from an actor. Every time, single time you've seen, he had a piece on every single time. And I, I, I said to him, uh, you know, when, it, when Luis says, yes, I, want, I like him, I want to cast him, I went, I said, Joey, this is the good news and this is the bad news. The good news is that you got the role. And the bad news is, I want you to do it without your piece. And he went, oh, no, no, I can't. You know, everyone will know. I said, I said, anybody who knows you anyway is going to know. And it's a great character piece, and you've never done it. Yeah. And so Joey actually did me the great favor in this instance of taking his piece off and doing this piece bald, which was wonderful. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> um, and he's wonderful in the piece. You know, I mean, you know, he, he plays Bob Keane, you know, a guy who is – uh, a, a hawk of a businessman mm. who's, who knows, who's tough. You can see him right now. He's, 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 he reads Richie his rights. I mean, he basically says, I can't use your band. Yep. Um, I'm gonna, you know, you'll see later Well, the later reality on. of the dream starts happening. Right, you know, but the reality of the toughness of the, of the movie business. And, and the thing is that you watch right here. Here he is. Richie can walk out. And uh, who is he? And he didn't walk out. Mm. He knew and he made those decisions himself. And what does he say? You know what's more important than anything else? His family. Yep. Uh, but but the fact is, my family. There it is. The fact is that this is what the film was about, and I think this ethos of uh, of what this whole you know I, this film was very successful. Uh, it was quite a surprise because it came from nowhere. It didn't have anybody in it. it. You know, it was Latino, a lot of brown-skinned people. You know, there's we, we use a little Spanish throughout this and so on. You know, Richie Valens was not what you would call, um, you know, one of the great, great, you know, remembered stars of rock and roll. Yeah. We wanted, you know, Danny and I grew up in California, you know, wanted to recall him. But, of course, La Bamba is... The late, great Richie Valens. Yeah. I mean, it, La Bamba is one of the great songs, rock and roll songs of all time. Yeah. Really is. And and I think that that anthem 
You know, I mean, why would a song in Spanish become a hit in the 50s? The fact is, you know, a great song, a great record is a great record. Yeah, and just the fact that it, it rock and roll reflect... It's this, magic. Yes, this American, this American dream. Yeah. And in the American dream, anybody can have that dream. Yeah. Now, now, this right here, You're Mine and We Belong Together, again, what we did was we went back and, you know, whether whether Richie did this song. Did Richie ever do this song? I th yes, I think he did. Good. Because, I mean, you know, some of the times, you know, we went in, I, I don't think he, did he do Framed? Yes. He did? Yes. Oh, great. Charlene, okay. yeah. Yeah, well, no, Charlene he didn't do, but we threw that in. Right. <laughs> but the fact is that, that Charlene was a song that I, you know, we grew up to in Southern California, and it right. was definitely a Latino song, you know? Yep. And so we, we threw these things in. Look at that truck in the background. Yeah. You know, right now that truck would be—I'm uh, sure it still is around. But the, the 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 essence is that you're looking at a time. Of course, there's there's something about a more innocent time. It's also symbolic because the Ch the Chicano reality of this music is so much alive. The the oldies but goodies concept. I mean, they never went away. Did that's, they? They're still singing <laughs> these songs. They're still they're still falling in love to these songs. This is not nostalgia. This is now. Hmm. But you know, David Hidalgo mm. really did a wonderful job of capturing. And and I must let's give let's give uh, Lou credit too, because he had these things. And the great thing is, we had gone in. Joel had we'd gone in. Steve Berlin, who is a member of uh, Los Lobos, uh, was the producer of this. Steve went into the studio with Bob Shaper, the engineer, and we laid these tracks down yeah. early. And you know, David Hidalgo went in and did all this stuff, and and we had it. Now, once we cast Lou, you have to understand there was very little time left. He immediately went into starting to have to one learn the guitar, <laughs> two learn these vocals, learn them letter perfect. Because when you see this movie, you've got to believe yes. that he is actually singing him, and I think he did a brilliant job of of making you believe it. Yeah, and I think it's it's, it's important to note. That Lou became a musician because yeah, of this. That's film. right. But the other, but the other thing is that you have to understand from filmmaking point of view, we scheduled yes. all of his music at the end of the film. <laughs> you know, we basically didn't start the first day with him up there because we wouldn't. Have, it would have been terrible. You, the way you work on a film like this, you basically say, "All right, let's do the drama first. And as Lou, you know, Lou finishes a 12-hour day of shooting. Now go home and work on your work music. On your guitar. Work on your music. <laughs> work on your music. Because at the end of this, you're going to have to stand up there and be Richie Valens, right. who was a musician, and you better get it right. Um, you know, Danielle Van Zernick, I think, did, you know, was really, you know, this is this is uh, one of her first, uh, you know, gigs. Although she'd done some things as a as a child actress and so forth, wonderful. she was wonderful in this. She was re she really embodied the innocence. It's very funny if you look at the accompanying pieces, you'll see her, and then you'll see the real Donna. You know, <laughs> and uh, obviously a grown up woman. You know, really substantial substantial woman. And it's great to see the innocent young girl and and what she became. She's a lovely woman, and she basically and remembered the whole thing. She had gone through the process. Uh, there's, a, there's some wonderful pictures. There's a picture of her in that where you see she and and a whole group of girls that had gone to uh, Pacoima High School with Richie at the at the um, uh, cemetery with mm. Connie. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a fantastic... I have that picture in my living room. It's a fantastic picture of this mother and these girls in their prom dresses. And then <laughs> night of the prom, they went out and they had their picture taken at the cemetery at Richie's grave. Yep. He never was able to go to his own prom mm -hmm. um, you know these are these are moments and then you see Don in this talking about it now all these people are were all through this picture they're all the people you see almost every one of them is in the picture in one place or another 
But that's what I mean. I mean, it's where life imitates art or art. This thing was taking place, and the people who were working on the film had a very special kind of relationship to the music and to the time, and that's what was brought into it. So the film wasn't just taking place in front of the camera. It was taking place all around us mm. with every crew member. I mean, and uh, what was wonderful is that Richie Valens, who was 17 years old, had a 16-month career. I mean, how do you make a film out of 16 months, you know? And the amazing thing was that his, uh, his, his strength, his determination to, to do it, affected so many different people because we were all dreaming. Now, this, this scene right here is so great because you have the two brothers, you have their two dreams. You have, um, you know, you have Richie who's, uh, you know, Richie's got, uh, you know, everything's happening for him. Yes. He's starting to take off. And Bob, the you know, promise, Bob, the great promise. Bob has won. You know, Bob is talented. Bob mm. always has been talented as an artist. Of course, he's won a prize. Uh, you know, he knows he's got to go out and work, but he's, you know, he's won something. I love this. Uh, see, now, this is, this is again, uh, the reality of what recording is. Again, we recorded, we shot this at the end of the thing. But... This is the way, um, not, you know, people don't go in and lay it out in one take. And this is not the way uh, a first-time person enters the, uh, the recording studio. You see how a song is formed. Uh, he's got his own song. He's changing the lyrics as it goes. And all these different takes that he's going through, and you see the frustration yep. of it. Yeah, I mean, I think as were our experiences, you know, we, we threw them in because it's a lot of work, you know, and... Uh, well, but the thing is, Danny is Danny is you know was a recording artist. Joel had gone through these things. Yes. I've gone through them. I, do, I I've done a lot of things in music. What we're trying to say in this piece is that you know let's let's talk about rock and roll, but let's talk about some of the realities of it. And you go into a studio and uh, you know realize that you got David Hidalgo going in doing starts and stops, starts and stops, starts and stops. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as I remember this day, it was frustrating. Yeah. I mean, it kept, the whole energy of the scene was there. Well, that's what, you know, Luis is going for. I, I also want to mention somebody else that uh, we haven't talked about yet, and that is the editor of the film, uh, Shelley Kahn. Now, Shelley Kahn is, uh, you know, he was not a beginner. <laughs> uh, Shelley Kahn, uh, you know, really one of the great editors of Hollywood. Uh, I called him. He's an old friend, and he, you know, works, uh, you know, almost exclusively for Ivan Reitman. But um, you know, I called him up, and and it was funny because I didn't know if he would be interested. And it, you know, everybody's got a skeleton in their closet. That's you know, right. I didn't have any idea. But Shelley says uh, uh, Richie Valens. Yeah, I know Richie Valens. He said, in fact, you know, when I was a kid, I worked as a road manager for the Platters. Yes. And he, one of the one of the big, uh, you know, here's Shelley Kahn, who is a big time film editor in Hollywood. So I would never guess he had a rock and roll. Background. He said, I had to make up my mind whether I was going to become a rock and roll manager and go on to that. And instead, you got in the, you got in the film business. But, but he was suckered into mm -hmm. this. He not suckered in, he jumped in. And Shelley, I think, has cut a fabulous movie here because you just see that sequence in there. You know, this, this whole little sequence is an edited sequence. Mm -hmm. You know, you've got all those things, you see the cuts, you see how, I don't know how many cuts are in there, but you get a sense of hours and hours the and Gold hours Star of Gold Star Studios. Work. I mean, and, and the fact is, yes, we shot uh, Gold Star Studios. Hmm. I mean, you know, you have to understand that, that Gold Star Studios, where Richie recorded this, was the probably the most famous the recording place. studio the in place. Hollywood. You know, uh, the Beach Boys did all their things there. The Phil Spector 
you know, the great Phil Spector sound. Mm. That came from the echo chamber in the depths. <laughs> it was, it's, you know, it used to be on the corner of Vine and Santa Monica, or right. near the corner of Vine and Santa Monica. Right. Unfortunately, I can't believe it was torn down. Yeah. It now, you know, it's been paved over and something else is there. But the fact is that echo chamber is still down there. <laughs> and I was thinking to myself, my God, if you know the number of hits that, that were down there, uh, and the number of incredible sounds that were down in that echo chamber, I mean, it's historic. Uh, and it's still sitting down there under that ground somewhere yep. full of treasures. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, what we're, what we're recreating here is that moment. Again, another reality of show business right there. They changed it. his name from Ricardo Valenzuela to Richie Valens. And, then of course, you know, look, it could have been uh, Ricky Zuela. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the fact is you've got to, you know, it's, it's the, it isn't quite an anglicizing, but it's also, you know, their way of saying to America, well, Richie Valens, Richie Valens, Richie this, whatever. Well, I, mean, I mean, it's interesting is that people realize that it's, uh, it was done for practical purposes because, uh, sorry, uh, because... Uh, Valens is short, it's only so many letters. Right. You put Valenzuela on there, it takes up too much space on the label. I also think that, frankly, at that point, Bobby, probably Bob Keane was doing a little bit of uh, his, his, uh, salesman you know, rap. salesman rap. That's just right. you know, you never know. You know, you know, he could be anything. It's yeah. like America. He could be anything. Is he Italian? Yep. Is he this or that? And the fact is that uh, you know, when he sings La Bamba, you, you pretty well know he's <laughs> <laughs> he's got to be Latino. He's or he speaks Spanish pretty well. But I think, uh, you know, again, that image of KFWB, that sign was still wow. up there. That yeah. Was. Now, here's a, here is uh, somebody Rick that's Dees. very well known both in Los Angeles and around the country, Rick Dees. Mm. And uh, Luis, you know, when he was down here working, he would can every morning drive in and listen to Rick Dees and that kind of stuff with those telephone calls. He says, hey, he says, you know, the, this guy's name, I, I bet his name is Rick Diaz because the fact is he's got to be Latino. All these Latinos call him up all the time, and he does this really great Chicano That's rap right. and so on. Well, you know, it turns out that, that Rick Dees' uh, heritage is Scottish, but... He does understand Southern California, and he embraces his Latino audience. So, you know, it's almost like he's one of them. We, we approached him about, uh, you know, actually playing uh, uh, an original disc jockey who was Latino, um, you know, on KFWB. And the, and the essence right here of the way the, the business works, Bob Keane gets him on. And all of a sudden, you start to see a montage here of how you know this song starts to be heard around. Here's oh, Connie slinging that hash. Rest, that's where she actually worked. Really? Yes. This that is, was the place she worked in. Really? Isn't that fantastic? Yeah. You know, this this is, uh, and again, this existed out there. I don't know if it still exists, but these are the kind of things they're building today <laughs> to re to recreate the image of that. But uh, you know, all through this um, this montage here. You're seeing, uh, you know, progress. You see Bob drawing, you know, getting a little frustrated, of course. Connie working, uh, you know, Richie trying to get a hold to uh, get a hold of. But, but it's a way of using "Come On, Let's Go" and using it all the way through, and 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 getting a sense that things are moving up the charts, and and what somebody would have to do. I mean, the fact is that uh, you say, oh well, you know, uh, a recording star, you know, they're going to go out to these big things. The fact is, Richie did actually have to deliver pizzas. That's right. <laughs> had, there's That's a pizza party, and he had to go out That's if right. you won, and he he delivered the pizzas there. Not very glamorous. That's right. I mean, this was the promotion. This was it. I mean, you had to take the pizza and do the numbers. You know. That's right. Uh, I this think. Is classic. I, yeah, it is. It's lovely. Classic. I mean, I I think what was really wonderful, and it gets captured. You know, at this period, rock and roll was alive, and so. 
you could actually record something, hear yourself play over the radio, and 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 that experience was caught in this story. I mean, Richie. Richie was 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 trying everything he could to try and be and be this persona, and so, in essence, the music behind the scenes was was really part of the expression of his of his struggling to become a recording star. Mm. The one one thing that that you're seeing right here, and we've been carrying throughout the story, and again, Luis put this in mm. because it actually happened, and Donna talked about it. I mean, Donna, you know, had problems with her father. You know, she didn't want uh, her father didn't want her going out with a Chicano. You know, one thing that um, I think we should talk about here a little bit, um, I, I talked about the genesis of the project with Danny and I and how we brought Luis in, but the selling of the project, you know, it, it doesn't just happen in Hollywood that easy. Um, I had, you know, again, you're lucky when you have a hit film. An Officer and Gentleman opened a lot of doors for me. I made the film. It was a big success. I made it for Paramount. I then developed a couple of films at Paramount that they didn't want to make, uh, Against All Odds and White Knights. And um, there was an, a regime at Columbia Pictures at the time. Uh, Frank Price uh, started that regime, and Guy McElwain was his second-in-command. And then Frank left, and Guy McElwain became the head of Columbia Pictures. And he was very supportive. I had, I had uh, you know, made... Uh, against all odds, he agreed to make the film, and we made the film, and it was successful, and then we made White Knights. Oh. Not many people would make White Knights with uh, Mikhail Brishnikov and Gregory Hines, two dancers. They, it didn't sound very Hollywood. <laughs> but again, the film went out and was successful, and, and actually, um, you know, we were trying to, to do a different kind of dance film. Well, when a guy set up my deal at Columbia, and again, that's what Danny had read in the paper, and uh, he called. You know, it, I'm not in a position just to say, "Okay, I'm doing it." I can I can develop it, but I want to know I'm going to make films. So I went in to see this head of production of um, of Columbia Pictures, and I said, I, "I know the first film that I want to develop is the life of Richie Valens." Now, Guy McElwain grew up in California. He was a minor league baseball pitcher. He had done a lot of things, and uh, and he knew Richie Valens. Yes, <clears throat> he'd listened to Richie Valens. He understood the process, and I said, "Guy, you have to understand." This is a film that I know right now is not going to have any stars in it. This is a film that's going to, I, I want to have all Latino cast. Mm -hmm. I think it should have an integrity to it that is like the subject. And, uh, you know, he basically said, fine. I said, I'm going to hire somebody who's never written a screenplay before, Luis Valdez. He said, fine. And, and in essence, he didn't give me a lot of money. We, you know, we made this film for, uh, I think it was a $6 million uh, budget, and I guaranteed completion. That was it. And anything else that went over that, I had to pay out of my pocket. But we all believed in it, and I must say, I want to give credit to not only uh, Guy McElwain and all the people at Columbia Pictures, but there were a lot of things that were very specific that we did. At the time, Columbia was owned by Coca-Cola. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I didn't think about that at the time. I did later, and I'll talk about what happened later. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Guy McElwain uh, uh, put this into production, and then, of course, as happens with studio heads, he moved on, and David Putnam came in, <laughs> and he was the next head of Columbia Pictures, yeah. mm -hmm. and he was a controversial figure who had attacked Hollywood and talked about various things, but when he saw this film, it was right 
in the ballpark with what he was talking about. He wanted to make smaller films, and he championed this film. So the film was started by Guy McElwain, and it was released under David Putnam. And, uh, and, and in each instance, we had total cooperation from Columbia. They went out, you know, you have to do a creative job of marketing a picture when you don't have any stars in it. And everybody got together and understood that there was a chance with this film. It was a Cinderella film. And uh, I, I, I want to mention that, uh, you know, it's, it's important when things work like this. Uh, it's, it's historic. And, and again, La Bamba has been the most uh, successful um, uh, Latino film that's ever been produced in Hollywood so far. I hope that there's many more that are more successful. This, this fellow right there who is uh, right in the doorway, Phil Esparza, <laughs> again, one of the uh, directors of um, Teatro Campesino. And again, I said, Felipe, you're going to be in this movie, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but we're going to make you a pimp in the doorway of Tijuana. <laughs> he jumped at the opportunity. <laughs> um, the, the essence of going, you know, this again is an experience. <clears throat> it's not the proudest experience, but it is a cultural experience. Tijuana is on the border. It's a border town. It's a town where the sailors go across. Everybody, everybody in California experiences going across, leaving your, you know, you can't do it. You can't in any place else in the United States except in Texas and along the border yeah. go to a different country that's totally culturally different. And Tijuana is not exactly like the rest of Mexico. That's you know, it's it's more American than it is almost Mexican. But it is part of the ethos of every young Californian to go down and go across the border and go into Tijuana. That's right. And of course, Richie had done it with Bob. Bob had taken him down. Now this is an instance where Luis has uh, taken dramatic license. You know, we you know, La Bamba is such an important song. We're trying to define, you know, how Richie found it. Of course, he, how would he have heard it? You know? He did. He heard it. In, you know, he actually heard it around the campfire. He heard it in different ways. Luis Luis wrote this scene about uh, the discovery of the song La Bamba, and I think in a particularly interesting way. I love I love the drama of it, and I think he did a great job. Uh, the fact that he's trying to create here, you know, uh, <clears throat> life in a in a, a Tijuana brothel, mm -hmm. you know, 10 years later. But if you look behind us on stage, there's a Mexican <laughs> band, you know, playing with a Veracruzano harp yes. and, uh, <laughs> and all that. But, it, of course, that's Los Lobos. That's the real Los Lobos. <laughs> and, in, you know, when can you have a rock and roll band that's doing all the music and at the same time they can be in there and play traditional, yeah, they really authentic stuff? No, they're great. It's guaranteed. I don't know. You know, it's uh, um, and I think the the whole the whole ethos of the of the older brother, you know, getting his brother laid here, <laughs> the innocence of Richie, you know, in a tight yep. spot, and the, and of course there they are, and here's La Bamba, which yeah. is a Mexican folk song. It's a wedding song, you know, and it's a it's a Veracruzano song. Yep. And, I, and when you know Mexican music, you understand that different sections of Mexico have, you know, the north, the Norteño music is. Is uh, is a certain kind of mariachi music. It varies in interpretation. Yeah, right. And this this in Veracruz and the Veracruz on your harp. See right here, you see it. It's a wonderful sound, and uh, La Bamba is that sound. And it's interesting because I mean this is where the three chord uh, theory, you know, of rock and roll being three chords. I mean that's that's La Bamba. Hmm. 
Well, when you realize also that, that the three chords, by the way, we were stolen. You know, if you listen to Twist and Shout, <laughs> That's right. it's La Bamba. Twist and Shout came later, and it was a huge and a wonderful hit. But it's basically this chord progression uh -huh. and this melody. Uh, you know, if you could, you know, if you slow it down and change it, it's La Bamba. I don't think they ever, you know, it's uh, it's a folk song, so you can take it. <laughs> As a matter of fact, right after the film, there was uh, an album that was released with every La Bamba uh, interpretation you had ever heard, and there was even one by the Tabernacle Choir. <laughs> by the way, that was um, that was Cesar Rojas uh, who was singing. Uh, you know, you see Conrad, you see Senor Perez, mm. who is the songwriter of Los Lobos. You see David Hidalgo playing the what? Uh, yeah, the Harana, yes. Yes, and and uh, you know, you basically uh, you know have an authentic Mexican sound. And again, I, I just have to say again, what group could do that? But of course, you know, Luis has got everybody down there having a great time. And uh, and then back home, you know, mm -hmm. uh, while the boys are playing, the women are suffering. Um, in, in reality, what Luis has done here is a total creation on the basis of, again, this is pure Teatro Campesino. <laughs> this is pure Luis Valdez. Myth. Myth. This yeah. is the mysticism mm -hmm. that, you know, Luis has been working on for so many years. Again, here, you know, screwed, blued, and tattooed. <laughs> <laughs> Bob takes uh, Richie out and gives him uh, a shot at, uh, you know, becoming a man, discovering the whole world that Bob knows. And I think that, um, again, now you get a sense of Mexico. You get a sense that that uh, whatever Richie knows, he's experiencing something entirely different. Now, I want uh, Danny to explain who this man is here, the curandero, <laughs> that um, again Luis brought in. But this is somebody you know from from Danny's past. Yeah, he's he's the, our first member in Teatro Campesino. He, <laughs> the man of a thousand faces. This man had, had had so much talent, you know, and he had performed and became really a, a mainstay in, in in the Teatro Campesino. And when we we were working on on this particular scene, we kept asking, well, who could we get to get it? And Felipe, who really just epitomized just the character, and he what he brought to it was himself, his the essence of of what he was trying to project in a situation because what Luis was trying to grab, because we couldn't tell the the depth of the story, we had to try and, 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 and condense it. And so in a symbolic sense, this was culture meeting itself. Although I'm telling you, he is he is yeah, right he, there. He's actually skinning the he's snake. He's skinning he a, knew a snake. Well, so do I. So I mean, you live in Southern California, you know how to skin a rattlesnake. Yeah, you, you didn't have to teach him. You know, he didn't have to study. Uh, how do you study a, a curandero, you know, a spiritual healer? He knew it. Yeah. Uh, I think, again, um, you know, when Luis wrote this scene, you know, again, you, you, you say, well, this is a film about uh, oh, rock and roller. We're going to, you know, what, is there have to, what does this have to do with rock and roll? This has to do with a cross-cultural persona about people growing up. And this is about Richie Valens discovering his past. You know, he's living on one side of the border and everything is, uh, you know, mulch, you know, mulch shops mm -hmm. and, uh, and fast cars. American and rock things. and roll, yeah. And on the other hand, you know, what Bob is saying is, hey, you come from something else. Don't lose there's, your roots. There's another, there's another side here that is uh, mystical, yeah, that is part of a different, entirely different ethos. And uh, I, I love this sequence. I love the, the moment of discovery, which makes this, you know, that's what Luis did. He, you know, he took a, a rock and roll film and then uh, made it something more than 
uh, just just a simple little piece. It's a film about culture. It's a film about California. It's a film about America, and um, and it's a, it's a film about um, you know roots, Mexico. You know, I mean the cultural root. I mean, uh, here here we are in a film about a kid that's striving to make his mark, and the whole film is talking about his self identity, and saying that the only way you can be someone is yourself. So it was a cultural experience. The, con the contradictions of, of Chicano reality in America, just trying to deal with where you are, where you belong. Uh, you have to take everything that you are, your experiences, your background. In this, in this case, it's the background of your family, which represents your culture. And either you abandon it, you know, and you go completely away from it, or you become what you are without losing who you are. Well, I think that, that for me, you know, again, I just give a little uh, history. You know, as I said, I grew up in Santa Barbara. You know, again, many of my friends were Chicano. So, I mean, I just grew up with a sense that uh, we're, we're, we grew up together in, in Southern California. That's that. But again, I didn't speak Spanish. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very, you know, I've, I've got friends and I accept that, but I'm not, st I'm, I, I spent time in their house. I ate food with them. I listened to their music, but I'm not that knowledgeable. And on the other hand, what happened after I, um, I went to college, I went in the Peace Corps. And I, uh, I graduated and I went to Bolivia and I learned Spanish. Mm. And I lived in Lat Latin America and for the first time I'm steeped in a culture that's not my own and a sense of discovery, which I think is the great thing about the Peace Corps, was a sense of discovery mm. of another culture. Well, when I came back to Los Angeles and I was working at KCET as a reporter, and now I looked at Los Angeles in an entirely different mm. way because you understand that this town, one, is, and, and especially at that time, which was the, that was the 70s, uh, Los Angeles was running on Latino power. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, workforce power, <laughs> you know, and uh, there was a huge population, you know, of illegal quote, quote, illegal people that had come uh, up from South America through Mexico. Mm -hmm. And that, 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 of course, the culture and the economy of Southern California was running on this labor. Uh, There's a lot of prejudice in a lot of sense. Oh, these people are, are uh, you know, uh, living off our welfare, which is complete bullshit because, of course, they're not paying taxes. That's right. They, they're, they're contributing, and, and, of course, they're sending their money back to Mexico, but, but people are saving a lot of money. On, uh, on welfare, et cetera, et cetera. Well, anyway, this, this issue has gone on and on. But the thing that became clear to me as I was covering this was that the essence of the fact that we Americans had taken from Mexico and the biggest land grab in, in our history, uh, you know, half of, the, of, the poor, uh, of, of Mexico, half of Mexico in, 18, you know, in, the, in the 1840s and the, uh, the Spanish-American, I mean, the uh, Mexican-American War, we did. We took it now. At this point in the 70s, I started to see a whole evolution of Latinos coming into the Southwest. I mean, Danny, you know, Danny grew up here. Uh, there are a lot of Latinos that have always been in in uh, in the Southwest, but then there's a whole group that's come back, mm -hmm. and that uh, I started to sense there's a change. There was a change happening in in America, and that was that we who are isolationists who don't speak, you know, in Europe everybody speaks everybody else's language. Mm -hmm. Well, here nobody speaks any language, but the fact is I now spoke another language. I was bilingual. I could speak Spanish and English, and I started to realize there was a huge culture here that 
that was not going to go away, oh. and it is not going away now. And as a reporter, you know, a political reporter in Los wow. Angeles, I started to see the black community start to have elected officials. Tom Bradley was mayor, various people were sitting, but, but I knew what was coming were going to be elected Latino populations because when that, when that huge population discovers its, its roots, discovers its power, uh, and what is America about? It's about voting power and economic right. power, which is what they have. It would be coming. Here's Danny playing. The, this is this. <laughs> there's Connie. Connie there's yeah. Connie Valenzuela right there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you're gonna look around this room here. Yes. You're gonna see a lot of family members. Richie's mom. These are all people that uh, you know that were around, <laughs> and um, and and you know, obviously, we go the extended through, family. This yeah. is this. There, there. That's Richie's. That was one of Richie's uh, um, Sister. sisters. Mm-hmm. Let's see if we can recognize everybody in here. Well, it's interesting is, I mean, I don't know how many films get a chance to actually have the real people in the film and to have them as part of the film, I mean, and playing, play, actually playing people that were associated with the family back then. Yeah, that's Super 8 we were shooting. Actually shot a whole movie and transferred it, you know. Uh, but anyway, going, going back to what we were talking about here, I, I think the important thing about this film was that, you know, again, I look at films from the 20s and 30s. You see Jimmy Cagney. You see, you know, in the Irish ethos. You see Paul Muni, mm-hmm. you know, in the Jewish ethos. Yeah. You see, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the beginnings of De Niro and Pacino talking about in The Godfather and all, all these kind of evolutionary groups where, where an immigrant group is, has prejudice and had, fights through it and has and is assimilated. Well, you know, this is going on in a, in a later period of time in California. This is what was happening in the 50s. Mm-hmm. And now in the 70s, 80s, and 90s, that whole thing is changing yet again. And I think that, uh, that, that uh, we are, in the Southwest at least, a bicultural uh, community. Mm-hmm. And the, the Latino presence is just starting to flex its muscles. And I think economically, and it just, uh, to me, it makes a richer culture. It isn't less, it, it's better. Well, I think it's a direct direct reflection of, of the country itself, the melting pot, you know, of, of it's a menudo <laughs> mm-hmm. of, of culture, and you have cultures interacting with other cultures, and what you get is this, this mixture, this combination of cultural encounters, and art gets expressed in that language, mm. a new language. It's like, you know, you said you were speaking Spanish. Richie couldn't speak Spanish, mm. but he could sing Spanish. Yep. I mean, and... The Chicano experience in the United States, you know, your family speaks Spanish, but you have to speak English. I think in this instance, that's that's what Bob is embodying here. Yes. You know, he's got the devils in him. You know, the, it, 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 Eastside did a, such a wonderful, of course, you know, he was given a great gift, you know. <laughs> Listen, an actor, an actor, when they're given a gift of a role, uh-huh. I mean, all these actors were given gifts by Luis of, of great roles. Um, you know, and you mm-hmm. see it there. Uh, and Esai just, you know, you, you, that's what you, you know, you need talent. And Esai's got it, and Lou has it, and, and Elizabeth, and, and uh, Rosanna, all the people here. But they, as Latinos, were not given that many films where they could show that talent. And this film did it. And you can see everybody turning on. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, you know, we got it, but where we had a chance to show it, La Bamba was a chance to show it. And the different variety of talent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think um, I think the other thing is that that we you know now we're going back and talking about but one of the things that Luis uh, picked up on and of course this was true there had been a plane crash at Richie's school 
um, <laughs> early on, you know, when, and he hadn't been, he, he had not been there that day. And he lived with this nightmare his entire life. Now you say, that's very convenient, and he died in a plane crash. Well, the fact is, mm-hmm. you know, reality is oftentimes more fantastic than fiction. Um, you know, and the, and the fact is that, uh, again, here's Dick Clark. We, you know, he allowed us to use the footage of Richie Valens, and we had the original footage, and then, of course, we cut to Lou, and we actually have, I think, on the, on the accompanying tracks, I'm going to try to provide uh, the pictures of, um, of, of Richie doing Donna on the original performance. You don't know the power that would happen when somebody from California, I mean, back in Philadelphia, you know, it was like you know, all you saw was uh, Italian-Americans and, and uh, oh, you know, from South Philly and all the people coming in from New York. You know, here's a, here is a West, Pacoima, yeah. this is a West Coast guy. <laughs> and realize this is West Coast rock and roll. It's important to, to and understand And it was a that. historical moment, you know. American Bandstand captured a historical moment in his performance, you know, and really people were glued to the sets because now here was this local hero on national TV, on the mm. bandstand show, and it's like he hit a plateau just by just by being on the American bandstand show. Uh, show. Now all of a sudden, he was in the running. Yeah, he was considered part of the group of rock and rollers. Well, the great thing I think you know the, the changing of the name Richie Valens. The song goes out. That's mm. one thing. The, the great, the, the wonderful thing about music, it's the most egalitarian. Um, you know, of art, uh, popular art forms, yeah. because you hear the music. It's if it's great, you love it. You mm. don't care who sings it, what language it's in, what it is. It communicates with you, and that's what happened. Then all of a sudden, you go on, and there's Richie Valens, and he's a Chicano. Yep. You know, well, there he is. That's the guy. I love the song, so I love the. You know, it's it's mm. it's a it's a wonderful thing. Now, right here, I want uh, another part of the music that I had mentioned because you heard that guitar. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about the music. Of uh, the source music and the recorded music in this, but the score is also important. We wanted wow. to make sure we had integrity there, and we went to Carlos Santana again. He's not just a Chicano; he's a Mexicano. That's right. Um, you know, very famous rock and roller, great, great guitarist, uh, and asked him to collaborate with a wonderful composer named Miles Goodman. Un- unfortunately, no longer with us, but a lovely, lovely fellow, and the two of them. You know, didn't know each other, but, you know, Miles had had a lot of experience scoring movies, and Carlos had had an immense amount of experience playing and and understanding. And what what they created in this is a score that it fits along with everything else that we're doing. It's a rock and roll film. There's a lot of music that goes all the way through it, so that when the... Um, <clears throat> pardon me. When the score comes in, you can't have a you know big, you know 125 piece orchestra sweeping in with strings and oboes. It just wouldn't fit. And so Miles and Carlos created a, a wonderful score. And then of course, you know Carlos was there to do the extra little bits and pieces. Like the in the very beginning, we were talking about at the very beginning of this film, the ethos of of um, how this piece came about, but of course we didn't talk about the fact that that's Bo Diddley, <laughs> and that Bo Diddley <coughs> is playing Who Do You Love, yep. and he's not, that isn't the original version of Who Do You Love, that's a version with Bo Diddley playing with Los Lobos and Carlos Santana. And Willie and, Dixon, yeah. And, you know, and, 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 and uh, you know, in that instance, when, um, <laughs> when uh, Carlos Santana cuts loose on that, on that guitar solo, it's fantastic. But we got Bo Diddley to come in and re-record the song, mm. and uh, you know that that also was a tie. You know, and Bo Diddley's in great voice. He was, you know, he he really recorded a fabulous hot track, 
and we knew that you know we we have a great opening to this movie. Um, I, you know, I was out shooting second unit at the beginning of the movie, and I was, I was laughing with Danny. You know, Luis writes in there, you know, rattlesnake goes across. It was so hot up in on Hollister where we oh were. God, I put yeah. that we put that rattlesnake down. Rattlesnake just. Squ- would like wiggle off that thing and go into the brush. We had to catch him and put him back because it was hot on his belly. But he had to get that. You know, these are all little memories. Again, here's yes. Kati, and and you know, again, uh, the wow. the American dream. He buys his mother a house. Uh, you know, is it a palace? No, it's not a palace. It's a valley. You know, it's a valley house. That's but right. it was a palace to her. And um, you know, the important thing was I mean, it's the epitome of the American dream. Absolutely. You buy your mom a house. You know, I mean, this is this is what I'll do for my family. Yeah. Well, also, also that mom worked plenty hard. She, did. <laughs> she uh, you know, Connie had, Connie had pushed them both. You know, Bonnie, Connie had pushed this whole thing. But again, you know, Luis is mining throughout this. You know, he's got these performances coming out of these wonderful young actors, but he's also mining the, the brother relationship. And again, dropping in here, you got to fly. Dropping back <laughs> in here, the the essence that he laid at the very beginning. This this image of this plane again. This is this couldn't be a special effect movie. We did all this without special effects. Um, we're not in a playground. We shot that basketball game. We you know treated the film and double framed it and triple framed yep. it to give it a sense of slow motion. We then had a plane fly over there. Then we went out in the desert and had a a, a small plane you know actually involved in a crash. I mean you know these these are things that you know it's a miniature. It was a miniature. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have to keep cutting back because it's like destiny. And that's the one thing that, that Luis understands and believes, myth and destiny. And uh, Richie, you know, Richie had that. Now, we went down to the uh, Pantages Theater. Um, no, it wasn't. the Yeah, it, no, pardon me. It was, a, it was the, um, the Wiltern, 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 yeah. the Wiltern Theater in, in, uh, on Western and Wilshire, which is a great theater. And, and at the time, it wasn't used for concerts, but we, you know, used it for that. And um, we shot this concert, um, and I think that um, you know, actually, actually, I think we used the exterior of the Wiltern, yes. but we shot this at the Wilter e, the Wilshire E-Bill, didn't we? Right. We shot this uh, at the and for the Brooklyn Paramount. Right. So you see how things are pieced together. We got uh, you know, you take a, a a New York policeman on horseback and put him in front of the Wiltern <laughs> Theater and put you know the, the Brooklyn Paramount <laughs> up there, and most people that saw this movie said, God, it looked just like the Paramount in Brooklyn. Well, someone said to me, I thought they tore it down. <laughs> And uh, and they did. Yeah. But the but the fact is that uh, we did this at the Wilshire Ebell, and Brian Setzer again. One of the things that I had won, I'll I'll take credit for this one. I I had you know I'm I've always been a rock and roller and I love music and you hear various people who are the embodiment of the the past. Well, Brian Setzer, you know, was with the Stray Cats and really great. I mean, great guitarist, great great player. You know, we we're thinking, well, you know, Eddie Cochran was on with uh, with Richie Valens. You know, who can we get to do Eddie Cochran? Well, how about Brian Setzer? Yeah. He was completely happening at the time. He's a great guitarist, got a great personality. And then Joel Sill came up. He says, you won't believe it. I put some record on for me. He says, yeah, well, I, you know, that's great. That's um, that's uh, Jackie Wilson. Jackie he says, Wilson. He says, no, it's not Jackie Wilson. It's Howard Huntsbury. Yes. So you're kidding. He said, this guy can do... Uh, Jackie Wilson almost as well as Jackie Wilson and of course that's a hard thing to say because Jackie Wilson was yes. an original yes. and truly truly great so again we are recreating Alan Freed's you know Brooklyn Paramount shows and you know you have here um, uh, you know live performances original performances with Eddie Cochran Brian Setzer doing an up-to-date version of 
<clears throat> Summertime Blues. Fantastic version, I think. And again, listen to Howard Huntsbury. You know, I, I think he did real credit. And then he got himself into a pretty nice routine here, too. Oh. So you got a sense of the excitement of what it was like there. And later on in the film, you know, uh, there was there is yet somebody else. Um, yeah, we were working very hard to try and give people a sense of the atmosphere that Richie was performing in. And these, these were his friends. I mean, his, his best friend, Eddie Cochran, who took him under his wing because he was the kid. And But he was in amongst all these great performers. And and Sharon Sheely. Yes. You Sharon. know, that's, I mean, Sharon Sheely, you know, who was Eddie Cochran's girlfriend, and you see her playing in the background there. And, I mean, that's not her. That's the girl woman playing her. But, yes. I mean, Sharon Sheely also was a songwriter. You know, mm -hmm. she wrote I'm a Traveling Man mm -hmm. for Richie, for Ricky Nelson. Mm -hmm. And Sharon, you know, uh, you know, came in, and you know the, the thing is, we had all these ties to the pack. I mean, here is Sharon Sheely, who you know lived in, you know, and had the sorrow of watching, you know, Eddie Cochran die, and then ends up by writing songs, and then ends up by coming in and being part of La Bamba. It's yes. a fantastic sense of of these uh, bridges with the past. Well, especially like Brian Setzer, who who really was reinterpreting a whole new. Uh, angle on rock and roll. You say you gotta go back to the essence, man. You got it's got to be from the stage. And to get him, he didn't have to act the part. It was his love of the music that created his own interpretation. And that's why the performances are wonderful because those are real performers. That's right. Now, in this instance, you have to say, well, you know, Richie's going to come out. How's he going to do? And, of course, you know, the fact is that we, we couldn't phony this up. We couldn't say, oh, they don't like him uh, because, you know, La Bamba was a big hit. And the fact is these kids are, you know, they're waiting to see Richie Valens and they're going to go crazy. And we knew that they loved Richie. So you see, all we could do is sit him down. But you'll see as soon as that song happens, which is the way well, this is this is the yes. excitement with La Bamba. And we held off with La Bamba until this moment. You have to hold off until the end of the film, because you see those kids jumping up. That's exactly what happens with La Bamba. You 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 just test this, you know, because any bar mitzvah band, any <laughs> wedding band, wherever it is, they're usually going to put La Bamba on. And when you you know you're sitting there and everybody's sitting around and everybody's had a couple of drinks and they've eaten a big dinner, I'm telling you, there's nothing that clears tables to the dance floor like La Bamba. You know, as people get up, it's you know Richie Valens created some magic. And like I said, we know when you have a hit song, it doesn't matter what language it's in or anything else, it will, La Bamba gets people up and makes them dance. And it also builds the bridge. Again, the important thing that Richie Valens did, you know, in Spanish, you yeah. know, here you are in America. It didn't become a number one song in Mexico. It became, it became right. a hit in America. And that's what is great about this country. It's, it's called, we're all this mix, this, this uh, menudo, as Danny said. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you may not know it, but, but you know, you put La Bamba on, and everybody's, yes. I don't care, around the world. And you know, somehow get everyone knows the words. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> so uh, this, this was our, uh, our chance to do the Brooklyn Paramount, and really, and we had, you know, we had great extras. Again, I think, I think this is a really good opportunity to mention some of the other collaborators here, because, you know, we took a lot of time and care. We didn't have a lot of money with this film, but it's a period film. Look at the hairstyles. Mm -hmm. Look at the costumes. You know, you have Sylvia Vega Vasquez, who was our costume designer, and, you know, she had to shop and find, and then she made some. But yeah, she, incredible she made Richie stuff, but oh. all the other stuff, you know, you're finding, and there's an authentic look of 1950s in this. You got Richard Arrington, uh, who was the, the uh, hair and makeup person, who, you know, not the person, the head of the department, and his department actually getting these hair styles to really great. I mean, Richie's hair, Bob's hair. I'm sure you've talked, uh, to, you've uh, heard Eastside talk about Bob's hair yeah. and 
how important it was. Everybody's here in this film. You have to, like, you say, you know, art direction. You don't have a lot of money to build. You try to find uh, places like Fillmore that kind of create the ethos of what 1950s California is. But so much of this is the costumes and the hair and the look. And everybody here is carrying this and feeling it. <clears throat> and again, family. There it is. You know, you're back here where uh, you know Richie's been to the east. There's Diane Rodriguez. You know, another another yes. uh, theatro member. She's another teatro member who's now a big uh, you know theatrical person here in Los Angeles. But you know the 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 essence is that um, you know what you have is um, family. It's a statement. The sense that this is what he was doing it for. This is where he has. He celebrated it. This yes. is. These are the people that shared in his. Yes. In his, and his success yeah. was everyone's success. Who's that guy right there? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I mean, I will tell you right now that 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 image right there is important because I'm telling you, had this film been done ten years earlier, Danny would have been in that role. There it was, and he was. He could done. He could have done it all. Bless the fact we wouldn't have had to dub him. He could have sung it himself. It's, you know, it's, it's, now we get towards the back part of the film, and you realize as, as uh, there's Lupe, there's, that, that's Luis's yeah, wife, yes. who just came through the doorway there. Diane Rodriguez right there. You, you basically are dealing with uh, destiny, and these are things that Luis always talks about in his work. And what this piece is doing is is working towards its inevitable conclusion. Uh, as success happens, and again, we we had to deal with the fact that you know we knew the end of the story. People I want you know American movies want happy endings. Mm -hmm. They all want you know things to work out right, and we knew that this film ended up tragically. <laughs> yep. You know, uh, so the fact is. You know, you don't shy away from it. This is a philosophy I have. You know, try to deal with something. You know, is this an idealized vision of things? I don't think so. It is about family. It's about warmth. All these things really happened. But you see a lot of pain. There's a lot of darkness in this movie. You know, Bob represents a lot of darkness. And I think that's part of the whole, you know, that's part of all working class families. Let's yes. not just say it's part of Chicano ethos. It's part of all working class. Yes. You know, you have, you have the light. You have the dark. You have the struggle. You have people who are striking out against it. You have people who drink. You have all these things that that you 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 wrestle with and those 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 very important few who made the inroads who were really making it up as they were going along mm -hmm. I mean no one gave them the script to do it this this is how it, you made it up uh, and to be someone you had to define yourself in your own terms and yes this was going to affect your family directly you know success touches a family and th there's already contradictions going on between brothers and Here's success happening, and the jealousy of the brothers saying, "Who the hell do you think you are?" Well, that's, this scene I think was was inevitable to come. I mean, you you know you've seen it all the way through the film. You've seen the resentment. You've mm -hmm. seen all these things, and then you need to see the incredible pain, which is which happens. The re the incredible pain that anybody in a family understands, because within a family you have the greatest love, and at the same time you're capable of the the, the greatest kind of aggression. <clears throat> it's passion, it's blood, it's connected by blood. And when that happens, uh, you know, there are explosions, there are horrible things. And it's more it's made more horrible by the fact that you're doing it to your own flesh and blood. Yes. And um, you know, again, uh, this this is as I said, this is a Chicano story. Luis is writing it. This is what we wanted. This is what we were going for. And at the same time, I was trying to say, uh, you know, this is great. We're going to tell a pure 
California story, a Chicano story. And you know what it is? It's an American story yes. because we're all from, we're all immigrants. Yes. We've all gone through this. We are we we grew up as working class, whatever our success factor is here. And people are going to recognize this. Mm. And they did with this film. They did. And inevitably, we headed towards a tragic ending. Mm. Now, one of the things I want to say that, that I can, you know, this is my editorializing. We, we've recently gone through a, one, you know, a wonderful movie, Selena. Uh, that a friend of mine made that that um, that you know I think you know you know they made a very lovely film and discovered a, a big star, uh, Jennifer Lopez. But in that film, because they didn't have the control of the story mm. and the father, who a man I have great respect for because he he helped create a great star, but he held on to that. And at the end of that movie, you 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 know it has a tragic yeah. ending. You wait till the end of that movie and you say, and you know what? They don't give it to you. Mm-hmm. They have a fabulous actress, Lupi Antevedo, mm-hmm. who I used in Blood and Blood Out. She's a fabulous actress. She could have been so great. And you could have had a moment where you understand how Selena grew into a woman, how she took control of her life, how she confronted this woman, and this horrible tragedy happened. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You're robbed of it. You don't see it in the film. And because of that, I think that's still one of the reasons why La Bamba is still the most popular film And when it went out the boss office. I thought we were going to lose our title yes. when it went out. I thought, it was gonna, I thought we were going to lose it for sure because Selena was so big. But, um, and, and this has nothing to do with Gregory Nava, the filmmaker, who's a wonderful filmmaker. He couldn't control it. They said you cannot deal with the end of that movie. And I think in that instance, it's the reason that La Bamba still, because we didn't shy away from the ending. Well, we I, dealt with it, and that's what life is. Life is, life is, is, is happiness and sorrow. And I, I also think that Richie's life was tragic, and, and what, what happened to him at age 17 was really tragic. Uh, and the pain that the family lived through uh, was certainly so humongous. Uh, it was so heavy that just going in and talking about it made you uncomfortable. And yet there was something about this young kid's life and the fact that he died uh, as, a, as a young rock and roller. We all connected. We all lost a brother. We all lost a star. We all lost. We had, we had this connection with everything that the family was going through. And the best part of it is that La Bamba, the spirit of La Bamba, the spirit of Richie Valens, lives forever. All right, I told you before that we had another <laughs> live performance. This is Marshall Crenshaw doing Buddy Holly. And when I heard Marshall Crenshaw, I said, you know, when I first heard him doing his own stuff, uh, I mean, my God, this is Buddy Holly, you know, 20 the years children later. children of Buddy Holly, yes. Absolutely. <laughs> And crying, waiting, hoping—you know, uh, you know—is is is fantastic song. And and we didn't choose the most famous. We actually had uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, Richie doing a famous Buddy Holly song. But in this, you know, that Buddy Holly song is, um, you know, a terrific, terrific song that I don't think many people know about. Again, uh, you know, you're setting up the ending here. Mm-hmm. And again, Bob Keen wasn't on tour. He's just traveling around. You know, one of the things you'll also see, there's uh, Steve Lee who's mm-hmm. playing the Big Bopper. you got Big Bopper, Buddy Holly, Richie Valens. Does this sound familiar? Mm. The Day the Music Died? Yeah. One, one thing that um, I think you'll find on, a, on an accompanying track here, when we finished this movie in terms of, you know, Rosanna was friends with Bob Dylan. And uh, I said, I want to do something, you know, really, you know, we got to let people understand that Richie Valens was important. Mm-hmm. Well, she said, you know, Dylan, Dylan saw Richie Valens 
two dates before yeah. the plane crash. I said, you're kidding. Yeah. And, and uh, in, in Minnesota, Bob Dylan, you know, Bob Zimmerman in, in Minnesota <laughs> was into rock and roll, and he, he saw this tour. Mm. And so uh, Rosanna called Dylan. We got a camera, and we went out. And, you know, he rode in a car out in, in uh, you know, on the Pacific Coast Highway and talked about having seen Richie Valens and how mm. he thought he was cool. And then we got little Richard, who knew Richie Valens, you know, and Richie had sung, you know, yes. uh, Ooh, My Head mm-hmm. and had done uh, little Richard stuff. And then we had Brian, um, Brian Adams, who had never met Richie Valens, was a, was a new star, mm. and a guy named Daniel Valdez, <laughs> who who also had you know been influenced by Richie Valens and had recorded. And we put together a trailer, a teaser trailer that ran all over the country, which was fabulous. Of course, Little Richard stole stole it like he does everything else. But but the fact is that you also you know here's Luis. You have a moment where they've had their blow up. Uh, you know, Richie calls his brother. Uh, Bob picks up. Bob's playing with the baby. You have that one moment of rapprochement. You know, you see the guys fighting. It's almost, it's horrible. It's spilling apart. But you know what? They're family. It doesn't matter. There they are. You know, they're talking about getting together, and you know how important, how painful that was for Richie. Richie was an incredible guy. That one, you know, there's like a, a, a wonderful thing where you you talk to person after person after person after person even the guy that you know that that uh, that he displaced in his in the band mm-hmm. nobody could say anything bad about Richie he was a terrific guy and i think the the, the interesting thing here is we could make a movie where you you know you say well when you know somebody has to be an asshole sometimes <laughs> you know no Richie we made and we made a good movie we made it, you know, we, we, we have Bob. He's asking all for everybody there. But you have the, the light and the dark, the way it really was. And at the same time, Lou was able to create a really good person. I mean, he was 17 years old when he died. How, what mm-hmm. else can you say? In this instance, you've got a moment where you see these brothers, you know, coming back together. And then the fateful moment. Now that we shot this at Whiteman Airport in the San Fernando <laughs> Valley, you know, we're creating snow. Again, you know, this thing is great. Is it? Here's Marshall Crenshaw acting. You know, I mean, the thing is great is that you have Brian Setzer, Marshall yes. Crenshaw acting in yes. this thing, and it's great. And I love the moment that's coming up. You know, there's a great moment where Marshall comes around and says, you know, I'll let you. I'll get there. We'll talk about it. But he he's so believable and sweet and real Buddy Holly like. I thought what the best part of this scene is this is the scene that nobody saw. There's this is this is a scene that only the people who were directly there remembered and yet it was a moment in in time for Richie Valens and so even the family, the, the sisters and the brothers who were present, I remember this day, they saw this thing and after that this the shooting of this scene, the sister walked up to Lou and said, Why did you get on that plane? <laughs> I mean, it was happening all over again. Yeah, I mean, Irma, Connie Jr., I mean, these these little girls, these were the little girls yes. who are now grown women that are looking at this movie. Now look at this moment right here. Mm. Mm. Hey, Richie, relax, man. Everything's cool. Besides, the sky belongs to the stars, right? There's a Luis Valdez line, huh? <laughs> the sky belongs to the stars, yeah. right? And, and, it, and, you know, I think it was a great reading. I think Marshall did a fabulous job. But, I mean, you know, in essence, it's there is that plane going up, mm-hmm. and we don't need to see the plane crash. We know what happened. Uh, you know, the, the reality of uh, the inevitable destiny happening. Mm-hmm. And, again, uh, you know, 
uh, you know, who do you go to? You go to the mother. Who's going to feel the pain the greatest when one of their ch children die? And what were we making this film for? Where was our dedication? It was to Connie Valenzuela, mm -hmm. the strength of the woman. And, of course, you have to deal with her pain. Um, and, uh, and again, you know, and a little getting, bit of rock and roll. And getting the news over the radio. Right. Yeah. They, they heard the news. Nobody called them. They heard the news over the radio. Again, what I was what I was hoping for here and what we what we went for was to really say, all right, this is a tragedy. Let the audience experience it. Let the audience experience the pain, especially when Lou has, has done such a brilliant job of, of establishing how sweet Richie is. This is how they heard it. I mean, you, everyone experienced it through that radio broadcast. And the sense that you want to see the mother... I mean, again, this is Pure Luis, who, who, you know, did not shy away from the real pain of death. Mm -hmm. The real, you know, this is what his life is: is birth, death, all those things. And and again, this is the end of your piece. Have enough guts to to deal with it and deal not with the humanity. Yeah, yeah, and not try to you know sugarcoat it and make right. it see it. You know, nobody felt anything. Not my Richie. You know, it's interesting because I get so many people who come up to me and talk to me about this scene, and it invokes such deep memories of tragic moments in families mm. that they say, you know, it's amazing that you captured that scene, that you allowed us to see it. Yeah. Well, and also the fact that Bob is the one there. Mm -hmm. Bob's the one there doing it, and the lowrider uh, funeral. <clears throat> you know, again, um, you know, at, at this point, we, we used, um, you know, the San Fernando Mission. This is, this is where, you know, this is where Richie is buried. Where buried yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I had the honor of, and, you know, un unfortunately, the great, great thing was that Connie Valenzuela lived to see this movie. She went to the premiere. She, she traveled. She, you know, this was a chance to give her... Um, another, you know, wonderful present of, uh, you know, of Richie. And she loved the experience. She, you know, you look at this and you'll see her when she was, we were shooting the concert, you'll see pictures of her. And she had it. She had this wonderful time. And a couple of years afterwards, she got sick. She, you know, she made some money. She provided for her family and she died. And, um, you know, I, I wanted, the, the thing that I wanted most of all to do is to, is to get her headstone. I, we, you know, Bob designed it, and we did a headstone for she and Richie. She was buried next to her yeah. son in that same place. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and Bob designed a really beautiful thing, uh, you know, and she's, she's out there. And we, I think we did, the important thing here is that Columbia Pictures, and I really want to give them credit, <clears throat> Guy McElwain let me have creative control of this movie. We made the movie that we wanted to make. 
Luis Valdez wrote it, and Danny and I conceived it. But but we, you know, Luis wrote the script, and and he put some hard things in here, and we didn't shy away from it. And I, and what I want to say to those people watching, and again, to, you know, Hollywood always messes with things, <laughs> but in this instance, they didn't. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, again, I want to mention a couple of other people that were really important. Kurt Sobel, our music oh, yes. editor. Kurt Sobel is so important. When you hear this music and it's all put together, Kurt Sobel did so much. Don Mitchell, Rick Klein. Don Mitchell mixed it. Rick Klein at at Goldwyn. You know, really great mixers. So many people contributed. So many people did so many things on this film. Richard Davies, whose house we sat in, um, you know, when we first conceived this, I don't think he did. When you see these um, these pieces in the back, which are the, the making of yes. the making of, Richard came in, you know, and did those for us. So, I mean, everything here had a, a beginning, middle, and an end. We didn't have to make <clears> up anything. I was drawing from the reality of it, and at the end of the film it was so important because, yes, yes, he died, but his music lives forever, mm. and the strength and the determination and the power of even listening to Richie Valens now, I mean, reaching through 30 years and touching you now, and that's what we wanted to leave people with because people still sing, and it's it's almost a rebirth. I think that, you know, of course, you listen to this music. Remember that uh, La Bamba became a number one hit <laughs> again, <clears throat> number one in the country. And, uh, you know, Los Lobos, it was the thing that actually, it was really helpful because, you know, Los Lobos have as much of integrity as, it, as, it, as there gets. But um, they ended up by uh, having their biggest hit with La Bamba, and it kind of helped them be put on the map. Um, it happens all over again. Yeah, and you see here at the end that you know Joel Sill has to be mentioned here because he cleared every one of these songs. You know, we he you know you don't know the kinds of things he fought to get all those things. Um, and you see Steve Berlin, you know, who produced uh, you know produced Los Lobos here. You know, and Bob Shaper, as I mentioned before, the recording engineer. The amount of time and effort and that he and Kurt Sobel and all the people put into this music. I'm very proud of this. I think we have a lot of integrity in this film. And again, you know, it's it's unusual when you have um, a record that goes out and actually sells better than the original. Um, and I think that Los Lobos and all of us who conceived this uh, deserve some credit for trying to keep integrity and then saying, hey, integrity can pay off. Um, you know, this film went out and it made, uh, I don't know, 50-something million dollars. But it, the thing that was surprising for me is that, in the United States, the thing that's surprising is that it played so well around the world. Yes. And this film played for a year in France. <laughs> now, you know, who could ever, you know, fathom that? A place for a year yes. in France? I mean, what what would they know about the, you know, Chicano <laughs> ethos? I think that has to do with a great credit to all of us, at, and especially Luis, for writing something that's universal. You can feel, where, regardless of what your culture and where you are in the world. Well, the Richie Valens story is an American story of all of us, you know, and it's... It reflects us all. Anyway, it's it's been you know what fantastic to be able to sit here more than ten years afterwards with Danny and thanks for listening. Yes, thank you.